This is Polar Geopolitics, a podcast analyzing the global and regional implications of rapid environmental change and rising international interest in the Arctic and Antarctica. Hi, this is Eric Paglia checking in from Stockholm, Sweden, which you've probably noticed has been receiving a great deal of attention lately for being an outlier in terms of how this country is managing the coronavirus pandemic. The government here has taken a much less restrictive approach than other countries. And at this point, the long-term outcome of the Swedish strategy is still far from certain. In case you're interested in hearing more about the COVID-19 situation in Sweden and other countries, I've been hosting another podcast called Corona Crisis Once Upon a Pandemic, where we interview experts on different dimensions of the crisis. It's available on all major podcast platforms. And here in episode 26 of Polar Geopolitics, we discuss the current situation in the Barents Sea and Svalbard, a region that's long been a geopolitical hotspot and where simmering tensions between Russia and Norway have recently come to the surface. I'll be speaking with Dr. Andreas Ustagen, a senior research fellow at the Fritjof Nansen Institute in Oslo. He's also affiliated with the Arctic Institute in Washington, D.C. and the High North Center in Bodo, Norway. Andreas is an expert on Arctic geopolitics and the Barents Sea in particular. And here he is explaining why the region is so strategic. The Svalbard Barents region is where you'll find some of Russia's strategic forces. Not on Svalbard, but on the Kola Peninsula, close to Murmansk, Russia's northern fleet. So the, um, the location of the northern fleet being in the Arctic, uh, but also providing uh, Russia access to the North Atlantic with its uh, nuclear submarines and its conventional forces as well. It turns the whole Barents region, the Barents Sea, into a geopolitical hotspot. It's first and foremost military concerns uh, on the part of Russia to sort of protect their access to the North Atlantic and to uh, secure the Northern Fleet. Is there more to it than that? Or is there something historical Russian sort of Arctic identity, some sort of principles that are operating as well that Russia feels that they have a natural right to dominate this region and to have a strong presence on Svalbard? Or is it much more focused on this Northern Fleet and the Kola Peninsula? I mean, the Northern Fleet is what makes it strategically important right here and now. But if you look at the Arctic circumpolar and, and you look at the Barents region as, as a subregion within the Arctic, it's of course the part of the Arctic where it's least sea ice. So uh, other parts of the Arctic, whether it's uh, Alaska or Canada or even Siberia, uh, you have more ice, you have harsher weather conditions. But because of the Gulf Stream, there's less sea ice, there's warmer temperatures all along the, the North Norwegian coast and the Northwest Russian coast, also including Svalbard and, and which is part of Norway, in front of Josef Land, which is part of Russia. So this whole region has, I mean, throughout the last even centuries or, or millennia, attracted quite a lot of development. I mean, there's been civilizations, there's been people settling in this region for, for a long time, doing traditional hunting, gathering, uh, fisheries. And then, of course, more, more recently, it's been um, important for Norwegian development, for Russian development. I mean, you see a lot of Norwegian industry, a lot of Russian industry in this part as well. So compared to other parts of the Arctic, the whole Barren Sea region is, or area is rather active. Um, and that's excluding the military dimension of it. So when you look at it in a circumpolar view, the Barren Sea becomes the one area where you really get a lot of the increased activity that scholars and others have, have suggested would come with the melting um, ice in the Arctic and increased activity in the Arctic. So you see increased fisheries, you see increased oil and gas, um, at least drilling for maybe not production so much yet, but still you see some of this activity. Also the, the shipping across the Northern Sea route that has been projected. All of this is more or less focused on the Barents 
Sea region. And then you add the fact that the Northern Fleet is located in this part of the world, important to Russia, both to be able to be present in the Arctic as activity is increasing, but also, as I said, with nuclear submarines and its strategic deterrence. So it's, it's a complex part of the Arctic and rather active part of the Arctic. And certainly complex relations between Norway and Russia. There seem to be some areas where they cooperate and get along fairly well, but to others where there seems like constant simmering tensions that boil up from time to time. And I'm, there's a couple of incidents in particular, Andreas, that, uh, that have happened in the last couple of weeks, couple of months that... That's why I want to talk to you to see if you think these are just business as usual or whether these are signals of some sort of new, some sort of change in these uh, Russia-Norway relations. And the incidents that I'm um, like to, to bring up are this letter from uh, Russian Foreign Minister uh, Sergei Lavrov on the 4th of February uh, to the Norwegian um, Foreign Minister basically complaining about the situation on Svalbard and asking for a meeting to discuss the, the uh, Svalbard relationship between Norway and Russia. Norway, of course, having a, uh, sovereignty over Svalbard, but at the same time, Russia being present there in Barentsburg and uh, to a certain extent, Pyramid, and, and, and being there for quite some time. Well, there's that incident, and there's also, uh, on the 2nd of April, there's an incident with this Russian trawler, the Bori, which uh, Norwegian authorities um, fined for some sort of illegal fishing activity. But this became more of a, of a diplomatic incident as well. So, Andreas, what um, what would you make of these incidents and uh, what does that say about the, the Norway-Russian uh, relationship in the, the Barents and Svalbard region? Yeah, I mean, if we start with kind of the Norway-Russia relations, I mean, as you alluded to, it's, it's also a dual um, relationship having to, to do multiple things at once. I mean, Norway is uh, a founding member of, of NATO, continuously trying to also uphold its own defensive posture in the Barents Sea and in the Arctic is a third of the Norwegian landmass and 80% of Norwegian maritime zones. So any military activity that Norway would be doing is does inherently have a, an Arctic dimension, uh, which then links up to, to Russia, which we, we share a border with, uh, both maritime and, and land border, and then that whole military activity taking part of on the Russian side. So, so there's this constant tension in the Norway-Russia relations due to Norway being, I guess, on a different different side, being part of the West or NATO, uh, and Russia being being what Russia is. Um, and, and ever since 2014, you've seen a deterioration in the relations even further. And at the same time, Norway has to find ways of cooperating with Russia. I mean, we have a border, as I, as I mentioned, uh, and we need to have border crossings. There's uh, industrial ventures together. There's economic, there's trade. And then we also co-manage uh, the marine resources, fisheries, etc., in, in in the Barents Sea. Um, so it's it's a neighbor relations, but um, plagued by by some by some tension. And within this, you find Svalbard. You know, as we also said, Svalbard is part of Norway. It was given Norway was given sovereignty over Svalbard in, in 1920. But all the countries that have signed the Svalbard Treaty from 1920. Um, are allowed to, or the nationals are allowed to conduct uh, various types of activity on the, the island or the archipelago. And herein lies attention, because Russia has, it has recognized Norwegian sovereignty over Svalbard, but it feels or it argues at times that Norway is um, extending its, its reach uh, too far. It's uh, not following the principles set out in the treaty in 1920. And Norway, of course, disagrees with, with this, saying that it's, it's just trying to administer um, its sovereignty and, and protect the environment, protect businesses, protect livelihoods of people on Svalbard. But sometimes 
the Russian uh, interests clash with the, with the Norwegian um, interests. And uh, one thing is what happens on, on land on Svalbard. But then more recently, you had the tensions over what happens at sea. And this is where, where the real kind of heart of the dispute is at, because when Norway established its exclusive economic zone, uh, as you could do per law of the sea that was developed throughout the 60s and 70s, in 1976, Norway established its economic zone, but it didn't establish a full economic zone around Svalbard because certain countries, Russia in particular, objected to Norwegian rights to do so. So instead, in 1977, Norway established a fishery protection zone around Svalbard, saying that this zone would be a non-discriminatory zone around Svalbard where Norway would manage fisheries. So the heart of the dispute lies in whether or not Norway is allowed to exclusively manage a zone, maritime zone around Svalbard. Russia says Norway is not allowed to do so because this zone or this concept of a maritime zone did not exist uh, in 1920 when the treaty was signed, whereas Norway says that does not matter. Norway has the full right to, to establish these zones because we have to interpret um, the legal development of the law of the sea in a more flexible manner. So throughout, you know, since 1977 and, and throughout the last decades, there's been incidents now and again where Norway inspects Russian fishing vessels, trawlers uh, in these waters and sometimes arrests them for illegal fisheries because it's, it's a complex picture with, with the fishing quotas, etc. I don't need to go into that into detail, but point being that Norway and Russia co-managers the different fish stocks in the Barents Sea. Uh, so therefore, um, and it doesn't really matter whether Russian fishers are fishing because it's uh, the, the same stock altogether, no matter whether it's, if it's a Russian zone, Norwegian zone, or the zone around Svalbard. Uh, but a lot of Russian fishing vessels are fishing in the zone around Svalbard, which then the Norwegian Coast Guard or Norwegian authorities argue that they are allowed then to inspect and then to arrest or, or fine if they do something illegal. And then now and again, we've seen that this has, this has popped up on the, on the political agenda, bilateral agenda between these two countries as Russia protests uh, Norwegian uh, actions in this zone, saying Norway is not allowed to arrest or fine uh, Russian fishers. This is only Russia that is allowed to do so in this, in this part of the world. And, but over the last decade or so, this say, dispute has more or less uh, not fizzled out, but at least it, it's been kept uh, in, in a rather discreet manner, and it hasn't really led to much. But then we've seen now over the last, uh, as you said, a couple of months, uh, we've seen more provocative statements from Russia concerning this dispute. And uh, the first came with the um, 100-year anniversary of the treaty itself. So in February, we were leading up only a few days away from the 100-year anniversary of the treaty signed in 1920. Uh, Russian foreign ministry gave notice to to Norway, saying that you know they they applaud or, or they congratulate Norway for this for this anniversary. But at the same time, there's a lot of issues where we disagree with Norway, and in particular, it also relates to this maritime zone. And then a few months later, uh, the Norwegian Coast Guard didn't even arrest; it just fined. Uh, the Russian trawler Bore uh, in, in the fishery zone around Svalbard. And the Russian foreign ministry immediately reacted, arguing that this is an illegal move by Norway. And and this is something we haven't seen lately, at least, uh, because there's been multiple fines by the Norwegian Coast Guard to, on Russian uh, fishers in this zone over the last years, also after 2014. 
Um, but we haven't seen reactions from Russia in, in this way. So obviously, Russia is continuing the line from February uh, this year and, and, and trying to at least put this dispute on the agenda. Uh, whether it's they're attempting to to really get Norway to to respond and, and perhaps deal with this in a, in a larger bilateral manner, um, I'm not sure. It's it, but it's interesting that, that Russia has chosen now to not only you know a one-off uh, in February with with the hundred-year anniversary, but also that they continue the line now to try to push back against uh, against the zone and Norwegian jurisdiction in it. I mean, how unusual is this, you think? this? I mean, Russia has been complaining about Svalbard for many years. It's been having, as you mentioned, these, these incidents, these, these issues with the fishery protection zone, which I guess Russia has never recognized, right? Do you see these incidents then as foreshadowing something bigger, or do you think this is just a smaller scale couple of incidents that are connected but won't perhaps lead to anything uh, larger? I mean, I do find it interesting that they've started to go down this line right now. And the more statements that come from the Russian foreign ministry to Norway about this, the more you get kind of caught in the dynamics of it as well, because then you, you can't stop protesting and you can't stop arguing against it. Because you have seen over since more or less 2005, uh, and you've seen a calming of relations when it comes to the fishery protection zone. There was a few incidents around 2011 after the the maritime boundary agreement was signed between the two countries in the, the same area. But since then, there's, it's been rather quiet from Russia. And it was it was almost assumed uh, from the Norwegian side, at least, after 2014, that given conflicts in other parts of the world and given tension, that tension had had risen, that, that Russia and, and Norway were both served with not causing any stir or tension you know, when it comes to this particular dispute around Svalbard, more or less, you know, agree an agreement to disagree because Norway is not going to, to back down on, on saying that this is Norwegian waters and Russia is most likely not going to to back down either. Um and then you you had over the last few years before this, you've had um a Norway EU dispute concerning the snow crab, which is not about the fisher protection zone, it's about the continental shelf the seabed around Svalbard, but it, it's more or less, it links up to, with each other. It's in the same disputes, but then now with, with the European uh, say partners about what Norway is allowed to do or not under international law when it comes to Svalbard, um, where Russia was completely quiet and, and it became a dispute with, between Norway and the European Union, and, and it's still an ongoing dispute. Um, so it, it's interesting, uh, to say the least, that Russia is, is trying to prod this and then see where it goes. I'm, I'm not seeing this as, as something that would escalate and flare up into to an outright conflict. The more I see it as Russia is, is testing waters when it comes to, to Norway and when it comes to, to the zone, and perhaps also uh, seeing that with this dispute over the snow crab with the EU, suddenly Russia is it's not aligned at least, but, but has similar views when it comes to the, the zone as, as the EU does. But at the same time, Russia is also benefiting from this uh, agreement that it has with Norway when it comes to the co-management of fisheries in the area. Uh, Russia is in a privileged position that it has that Norway and Russia co-manages these fish stocks and Russia uh, can fish uh, or catch this fish, whether it's in, in its own zones or in, in Svalbard zone. And if Russia would really push its um, 
based on that the waters around Svalbard are actually international waters, then that would entail that other countries would be allowed to fish as well. So I'm not really seeing at the moment what Russia might be gaining for pushing this, this issue much further. Your perspective is more maritime, right? You see that the maritime issue is the bigger picture. In terms of the, the terrestrial issues on Svalbard, do you see these as being part of the same, let's say, geopolitical strategy of Russia? Or do you see these as Russia treating them as compartmentalized, trying to get certain concessions in the Barents Sea when it comes to fishing and trying to get certain concessions on Svalbard when it comes to, I guess, what's been the, the biggest issues for them, at least the stated issues, has been the use of helicopters on Svalbard and uh, these uh, environmental um, restrictions that Norway has placed that have limited uh, Russia's activities. Do you see these as, as linked or as distinct? I see them as, as rather distinct. Um, I mean, Russia grouped it all together in, in uh, the message to Norway in, in February, yes. But at the same time, the origins of the disputes are different in a way, because the maritime dispute concerns whether or not Norway is allowed to enforce a zone around Svalbard, um, whereas the terrestrial issues on Svalbard has more to do with how much can Norway push its uh, authority. I mean, there's no dispute that Norway has sovereignty over Svalbard. There's no dispute that Norway is allowed to to implement new environmental regulations or is allowed to let's say, stop someone from, from establishing a, a helicopter base. The question is more, how uh, is the Norwegian government enforcing these rules and, and does it uh, do it in a non-discriminatory manner? Uh, are the Russians being treated uh, as equals, fairly? Uh, all these, these principles that are set up in the treaty, does Norway follow them um, in the eyes of Russia? And then here, so Russia is, is then saying, actually, Norway is taking on a bit too much, is giving preference to its own citizens or, or the population of Longyearbyen instead of those in Bardensburg. So it's, it's a, um, I mean, the, the dispute on land is more a matter of, of nuance and, and how you interpret Norwegian scope of authority on land, whereas dispute at sea is actually a much more, um, I guess, black and white dispute. Either Norway is allowed to have a zone or it's not allowed to have a zone. And if it's not allowed, then Norway should not be doing what it is at the moment. Uh, so therefore, you also see more conflict potential in the dispute at sea, uh, which is also why, I guess, Russia is, is continuing to to complain about it and, and upholding its stance. Whereas when it comes to, to what happens on land, Russia is saying that it wants bilateral uh, negotiations or bilateral these talks with Norway about how to improve and how to do better when it comes to regulation on land. Norway says we don't engage bilaterally in negotiations with a third country concerning our own country. That wouldn't make sense. But but I think there it's, it's a matter of, of finding regulation or adjusting uh, regulation that both parties can live with. Although, again, the Norwegian position is that we don't discuss this with third countries. And what about fourth countries or, or other um, other organizations? Will, it, will this go to some other forum for settlement or dispute arbitration somehow? Is, is there any other bodies that are involved with this? Or is this strictly Norway and Russia dealing with these maritime issues and, and the Svalbard issues? I mean, you have other actors that are, that are interested. And I think I mentioned the EU and the snow crab. You have Iceland as well as a, as a country that has been rather engaged in the issue. Uh, some uh, EU member states uh, have also raised the, the possibility of taking the dispute concerning the maritime zone to, to the ICJ or some other form of, of arbitration. But I don't think any, any of the actors are really seen as benefiting from it. I mean, you could take a principled stance saying that Norway has doesn't have a right to operate or 
uh, installed a zone. But litigation and going to the ICJ is, is a rather a costly affair and, and there might not be much to be gained. And I also think, as I said earlier, when it comes to Russia, um, bringing this into an international court of justice and then perhaps if they, Russia or, or whether it's the EU or, or someone else would be, would win the case. And then, then in a sense, the zone around Svalbard would then be subject to the treaty, uh, which is probably the, the most likely outcome if Norway was not to win. Um, then that just means that uh, Norway administers the zone, but it has to give equal access and non-discrimination to all the, the parties who signed the treaty, uh, which, which again, is not really in the, in the benefit of, of Russia to suddenly have, you know, the, the 46, 47 countries that have signed the treaty all being allowed to access fisheries in this area. Whereas right now, Norway and Russia co-manages the fish in this part of the world and, and they give a few quotas away, trading quotas with third party countries. But beyond that, Russia is in a privileged position already. So it would be strange to, to kind of trying to, to undermine the regime that Russia is benefiting from. So I see this more as, if not symbolic gestures, then at least gestures that just are trying to, to highlight that Russia disagrees with Norway and we're aware of what you're doing. We don't accept what you're doing. And perhaps maybe trying to not cause tension, but at least keep Norway on its toes. But beyond that, um, for now at least, it's, it's not more than that. You did a very good job, uh, Andreas, uh, at the beginning of uh, laying out the sort of the general uh, geopolitical situation in the Barents region. Um, do you see the, these incidents and, the, and the, this, these various uh, flare-ups and things as influencing or impacting or being parts of wider geopolitical um, trends in the region, the the new heightened tensions between Russia and the United States, the Chinese interest in the region. Do you see these as having any bearing on that, or are these just strictly part of a longer tradition of Norway-Russia uh, relations? You haven't really seen a sort of statement from Russia and and also from Norway, neither country have really placed this in kind of the larger uh, geopolitical tension or, you know, NATO-Russia um, tension. They've kept this as a, as a bilateral discussion or on Svalbard, on the maritime zone around Svalbard, um, and seem rather content by keeping, in, keeping it in that way. And, and it, Russia hasn't securitized it further. And 15 years ago, when this dispute was also on, on the agenda, Russia then, there was talk in Russia about uh, using the Northern Fleet more actively to kind of dissuade the Norwegian Coast Guard from inspecting uh, Russian fishers in the zone. Um, it didn't really occur, although there was one uh, Russian Navy vessel that, that did enter the zone and uh, to kind of show a uh, mark or a symbol, symbolize uh, just Russian strength. We haven't really seen the kind of same securitization of this issue, but it does, this issue does take place, as you say, within the context of a rather tense situation. I mean, right now, as we speak, the, the U.S. Sixth Fleet is in the Barents Sea together with the, the Royal Navy from Great Britain. And you see increased amount of, of military exercises, both from, from Russia and from NATO, Norway side. Um, and the rhetoric is, is, growing quite uh, tense. So I think the fear is, from a Norwegian point of view, that an incident in the Svalbard zone with a Russian fishing vessel or, or any Russian vessel um, could be uh, escalated into this larger geopolitical conflict and the larger tension 
that obviously is taking place in the Barents Sea. Um, it hasn't happened yet, and hopefully it won't. And, and the, there was an assumption, as I said earlier, it was an assumption that ever since 2014 that, that Russia would be interested in also trying to keep incidents in the Svalbard zone as low-key and, and avoiding an escalation. Uh, but now with, with the rhetoric from Russia over the last couple of months, um, maybe there's an attempt to securitize it. Maybe there's an attempt to push a bit back. But I, I, I'm assuming that, as I said earlier, Russia has little to gain from it. For now, at least, relations are, are stable when it comes to that specific domain. Now, on the other side, from the, the tensions we're talking about here, there are certainly areas of cooperation. One of them is a sector that you've done a lot of research in, Andreas, and that is Coast Guard cooperation. Perhaps you could tell us about how that works between Norway and Russia, and perhaps uh, other countries as well, and uh, why you think that's an important dimension of a governance in the Arctic. Yeah, so since the fall of the Soviet Union, basically, Norway and, and Russia have uh, continue to develop new mechanisms of cooperation in the Barents Sea, because as we, we already discussed, I mean, the Barents Sea is rather active in terms of, of economic activity, fisheries and shipping and oil and gas and, and water crossings on land. So, so when tensions were a bit, um, lower than, than they are right now, uh, Norway and Russia instilled or installed a lot of uh, different ways of cooperating. And the, the Coast Guard cooperation is, is one of these, trying to deal with search and rescue, oil spill preparedness, basically just how to, to also deal with, with fishing or overfishing in, in a part of the world that has quite an abundance of fish. Um, and in addition to this, in Norway, even I mean, we, in 2010, Norway and Russia agreed on a maritime uh, boundary in the Barents Sea. That was, was quite a big uh, breakthrough in relations. They had been in dispute for, for almost uh, 40 years. In 2012, uh, Norway and Russia agreed on a on a visa agreement just for the, for the northern parts of the areas close to the border of each country that could travel across the, the border without needing a visa, which is quite a, a big deal in, in, in terms of Norway-Russia relations. Um, so all of this happened before 2014. Um, and, and since then, Norway has followed uh, the line of the EU and the US and NATO allies in general, using harsh language to, to criticize Russia and criticize its actions in Ukraine. Uh, and since then, it's been more difficult to to establish new forms of cooperation. But you have seen, and we saw uh, the Arctic Coast Guard Forum that was established uh, just after um, events in, in Crimea, so a year after in 2015, which in many ways was linked to or is built on Norway's own bilateral cooperation through its Coast Guard with the Russian Coast Guard. That kind of led to, to a realization or a need that we need a, a forum across the Arctic for Coast Guard cooperation, where Russia was included along, along the other Arctic states. And also since 2014, although it's been more difficult to put in place new mechanisms of cooperation, uh, the old ones that were established in, in the 90s and 2000s have continued to function. And that's been kind of the key message also from the Norwegian government that yes, Norway disagrees with uh, Russian actions in other parts of the world. Uh, Norway is part of NATO and also it supports its allies in the Baltic Sea and, and it needs uh, the allied um, focus on Norway's security environment being the Barents Sea. But at the same time, we need uh, a stable, good relations with the neighbor, the large neighbor to the east, Norway's a small country. And we, we are dependent on having a, a good relations, whether it's com- concerns uh, economic issues or, or fisheries issues or, or even cultural exchange. Um, and I think that the question going forward 
if, if now that, that things are not necessarily improving when it comes to, say, Russia and, and the West, but still um, Ukraine and Crimea is fading a bit in the background. So the question is, how kind of do we do we go forward trying to do not let tensions escalate further when it comes to the Arctic? I mean, the Arctic has been always the last say, two decades been hailed as this zone of cooperation with Russia, despite tensions elsewhere. Um, and maybe that, that's fracturing a bit over the last couple of years with increased military exercises, especially in, in this part of the Arctic. Also with statements from the U.S. State Department or Secretary of State Mike Pompeo last year, it seems that suddenly the Arctic is also being being more subject to these negative relations with Russia or between Russia and the West. So, so I'm curious then how to to ensure that the low level cooperation or the practical cooperation between the Coast Guards, between even the even the military officers, between the navies. You know, sharing of, of if not information, then at least just having forms of regular contact where you could diffuse tension or even even attempting to develop codes of conduct. So, okay, you can perform your exercises or, or keep doing that the Arctic development in terms of military, but also how can we not interpret it in, into a security dilemma where everything that the other side is doing is seen as an aggressive move and therefore it needs a response. Uh, because I think that's the, the big fear going forward. That's well, a complex reality in a very complex region, the, the Barents uh, Sea and uh, Svalbard. And uh, Dr. Andreas uh, Oshagen, uh, thanks very much for joining us here on the podcast. It's been really an enlightening uh, discussion and I hope to have you on again on uh, future episodes. Thank you very much. It's been great. You can subscribe to the Polar Geopolitics podcast on most major platforms, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and Acast. Check out our website, polargeopolitics.com. Get in touch by email, polargeopolitics.podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Polar Geopol. Music by Mark Vandenbosch. Voiceover, Keith Foster. Logo design by Daniel Brockman. My name is Eric Paglia. Thanks for listening to Polar Geopolitics.